Hey folks, so we decided to forego an intro bit this time around, and I wanted to take a minute to just chat with you about something. So as most of our listeners should know by this point, I'm transgender, and on Saturday, the 11th of February in Warrington in the UK, a trans woman's body was found, a trans girl's body was found. She was 16 years old with multiple stab wounds, deceased. And there are two 15-year-olds being held in custody for her extremely grisly murder. This has got me feeling some kind of way. And, you know, I'm just not feeling very funny today. And it's got the entire community terrified and furious and there have been protests and the media machine in the UK has not been helping. And if you didn't hear about it in the US, well, that's not super surprising either. So in lieu of an opening bit, I'm asking people to donate what they can to Mermaids. It's a UK-based charity that helps improve the lives of transgender people in the UK. They actually have it uniquely difficult. You would be surprised actually how very hard it is to be transgender in the UK. So anything that you can give would really help and I would really appreciate it. We'll also be linking that in the description for convenience. Yes. Anyway, let's talk about a silly movie. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2019's Drunk Parents. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. This was, this was a movie. I actually, I really unironically enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Not to give up our ratings at the end, at the beginning, but... This almost feels like a direct-to-DVD movie, despite starring extremely well-known actors. Yes. So this movie stars Alec Baldwin and Salma Hayek. And I noted on the Twitter that this was clearly, they got together and were like, hey, remember 30 Rock? That was fun. What if we did a whole movie about that? And then they did. And it's this movie. Yeah. And I just don't remember hearing a single thing about it. Before I saw it on Netflix one day. Never heard of this movie. Absolutely wild. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Our opening credits are black screen with, you hear dialogue unrelated directly. People talking kind of about creationism. It's a drunk Toastmasters thing. Like the guy's clearly at a bar and he's trying to raise a toast I didn't really have a good reason to do so. He just wants to talk very loudly while drunk, which, that's uh, understandable. Well, you see, the next day he's shipping up to Boston. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. I'm just saying, like, that song should have been playing during the... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's how fucking drunk this, this discussion is. But the point is, the guy's saying, like, God knew that on the seventh day you have to rest, because the other six days were pretty fucking rough. <laughs> And this is the most Boston thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's like, yeah, and on the seventh day, God was like, I'm taking a fucking breather over here, okay? Which sets up the movie nicely in that we will find out this is 
one hell of a week for these two folks. They needed a breath after this one. When we get to them, we see Alec Baldwin and Selma Hayek, Frank and Nancy, dropping their daughter off at college. And they are both doing good parent stuff, but also doing rich parent stuff. Yes. Like, no, Frank, you're not allowed to modify the dorm door because (laughs) I don't think it's sturdy enough. You can put it in a work order and it will be ignored for four months. Just like living here. (laughs) Exactly. One thing that like kind of resonated with me, they say it's just a five-hour car drive away, however many hundreds of miles. 30-minute plane ride. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I had that exact experience, which means you go home not uncommonly, but not all the time. Yeah. I also could not figure out where they are from. I guess the Northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they definitely have Northeastern rich folk vibes. Yeah. I'm thinking probably like the rich part of Massachusetts because this gives Harvard. And also they make a joke about Yale being kind of a lower grade school. And like, I think there's maybe two schools in the country that are lower tier than Yale. But I just remember thinking that was weird because then after they leave, there's generic footage. You know how movies start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the first thing we see is Golden Gate Bridge. So I was like, I guess they're in San Francisco. But it's like, wait, no. What the fuck? I mean, yeah, I have no idea. This place is set nowhere. They make it home, though. Oh, sorry. Before that, we get black screen, swirly text that says day one. And that makes it really easy to talk about this movie. Yes. So, Kyle, that swirly text is called cursive. I get that. (laughs) I couldn't think of a font name, though. Oh, no, that's fine. I'm making a joke about how nobody learns cursive anymore. That's true. It sucks balls. It does. So, yeah. So they get home on day one and they're like, okay, what do we do now? I guess have a yard sale. No, no, no. As soon as they get home, their car gets. Oh, that's right. They're hitched car- up to the tow truck. It's about to be repossessed. Immediately repossessed. They don't even get into the front door and the repo guy is like, ha, you got got. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you're still thinking Frank is fucking loaded, which you're like, okay. The first thing he says is, can I help you? Like, yo, dude, you got the wrong car. But it quickly becomes apparent that no, he doesn't have the wrong car. It's just they're broke. They're broke. They put all their money into a business that didn't work out. Now, the repo guy asks him what they made and he goes, medical supplies. And I go, is it fucking Theranos? <laughs> No, no, they didn't make a Theranos joke. But the repo guy had worked as an EMT, so he was familiar with the product and says, okay, I can get you a few days because you make good, like, it's a good that you're making. Yeah, it's a valve for parts. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but it's a heart valve. So, you know, that's a thing that saves people's lives. So the EMT was like, you know what? (laughs) I'll tell him you weren't home. That'll get you days, not weeks. So he fucks off and they're like, oh, God. We've kept the car. I think at this point they do the yard sale. Yes. And Nancy gets very upset that they always bought a bunch of shit and never used it. Yeah. And this is why I suspect she's new money because like old money assholes are just like, okay, who cares? And Frank is an asshole about this entire thing. Like people come up and are like, oh, you having a yard sale? Like, No, (laughs) my living room vomited on the lawn. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I feel that. Mind your fucking business, neighbors. Yeah. Honestly, though, those are potential customers. So, like, also, don't alienate your customer base. And who shows up next? This character is Jason, and it is played by Ben Platt. Yes. So Jason is in a wheelchair, and this will be the butt of several very insensitive jokes, some of which I gather were not intentional, but it's a thing that gets brought up. He's dating Frank and Nancy's daughter. Her name is Rachel. It will come up, like, barely. They're not super happy about it. Well, Frank's not Frank's not happy, because he's being a typical movie dad. Yeah. He also gives him shit for living at home. And working at, where does he work? Like Home Depot or some shit like that? Staples, thank you. Yeah. And like, dude, the repo guy just left your car. Maybe chill. And your entire living room is on your front lawn. Chill out. We know that Nancy's kind of chill because she's like, Frank, shut the fuck up about this. (laughs) Well, she's either chill or she's got that rich woman thing where like the worst thing you can do is embarrass them. Oh, yeah. Through this movie, I think Salma Hayek did some amazing character work here because through this movie, you see this tension in her character between the typical rich bitch thing where you have to move through society in this way to be accepted by your peer group versus a practicality that suggests that she's not from money originally and has not yet developed the full sociopathy that comes with having too much money. I'm going to stop you right there and say that you've already thought about this character way more than the writers have. Yeah, but I don't think I thought about it way more than Salma Hayek had. That's fair. We also find out that Frank has been asked to watch his neighbor's house, Nigel. Nigel is fun. He's a fun character. He's on edge a lot. He's going to Nepal, and it's kind of hinted between his dress and his surly attitude that this is for a like a long-term meditation retreat oh yeah some rich person bullshit yeah like i have too much money shit i'm gonna go to nepal for four months i don't remember this actor's name but he was in the movie the internship i don't remember either i don't think i saw that one so we get kind of a sense that nancy's a little more pragmatic mainly because they joke about renting out Nigel's place while he's gone. And she's immediately like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. And then they get very drunk. And then they go into their house and pass out and wake up the next morning. Day two. Day two. Day two, we have who but Jim Gaffigan. (laughs) Who, all right. Jim Gaffigan has two modes. Creepy. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. And we see (laughs) both of them. Yeah. I was almost impressed with him in this movie. He almost made it through the whole thing without bringing up food. That's true. He made it through most of the movie without bringing up food once. So he's just kind of a weird guy at this point. And he's asking about the Craigslist ad for this really nice house. And (laughs) they show Nigel's house. And he's like, yeah, good. I'll take it. Here's a check for $25,000. Okay, that'll clear most of our debtors. And all we have to do is not wreck Nigel's house. This part is intercut with Selma Hayek at a grocery store. Nancy clearly has never done her own shopping. Painfully obvious that she does not shop because she's taken aback 
that zucchini at Trader Joe's is $4. The zucchini at Trader Joe's is $4. This is why I go to my local supermarket. It's a little dingier. It's a little tighter. But it's not fucking Trader Joe's. I made this note, so I want to address it here. They dropped their daughter off at college, so I'm assuming it's like September, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Everyone's wearing winter coats. This is why I think it's Northeast. Because it starts getting chilly late, late September, early October. Okay. It also could have been for they drop her off for the spring semester. Oh, yeah, that's true. Less likely, but either way. Yeah, that would make it January. Again, I digress. No, that's a good digression, I think. But Nancy runs into a fellow rich person. Yeah. And has to save herself from being embarrassed. Which is the worst thing you can do to a rich woman. So that's why it's a good thing to make fun of Marjorie Taylor Greene on Twitter. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so $4 for a zucchini. She gets her Louboutin stuck in the fucking shopping cart and is like hopping around trying to get her foot unstuck and like trying to talk her way out of this embarrassment with her rich friend, apparently. This is where we see the first instance of Salma Hayek being incredible at acting because she goes on a fucking diatribe about how food that's bad for you is very cheap and food that's good for you costs so much money (laughs) if you want to be skinny you have to be rich like yes yes that's correct or you know starve which sucks but yeah so that that's that's true food that is bad for you is cheaper and that's because it's made in bulk once nancy gets home frank tells her what's happened and she's initially very upset but when he reveals how much money they got her morals loosen up a little bit but it is also framed that she realizes this can pay for rachel's college it's less selfish yeah well i mean also look rachel can get student loans like the fucking rest of us (laughs) you can't get student loans to pay for your mortgage (laughs) yeah but ding dong troubles here so it's What's his name? Carl. Carl. Carl, that's right. It's Carl. Played by Jim Gaffigan, yes. Jim Gaffigan playing Carl, and he's here to reveal why this isn't going to be as easy as they thought. Now, initially, he just is kind of blabbering. I'm like, an ADD icon. Let's go. (laughs) And then he reveals that, no, he's not an ADD icon. He is, in fact, a pedophile. Yeah. And as a registered sex offender, must inform those living around him of his sex offender status. Yes. Controversy. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing for the reasons that the movie will ably demonstrate in just a minute. Which part do you think is not great? The whole, like, making sex offenders go door to door and be like, hi, I'm a sex offender. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because it's going to cause this to happen. Oh, (laughs) sorry. Also, before that happened... Frank and Nancy were about to get down. Oh, yeah. And Nancy stepped away. It's Chekhov's Selma Hayek. When you have Selma Hayek in a movie, you have to have her in lingerie because she is, I think, 54 and looks no older than 35. The woman has Elizabeth bathory at least three times. Fuck. (laughs) Anyway, she looks fantastic, and she comes out in some lingerie, ready to go, and then realizes what's going on, and skitters off back to the bathroom. <laughs> so they try and make an arrangement with Carl. 
that Carl will live in their house so that they don't get in trouble with Nigel. Yeah. And they'll just house it in situ at Nigel's house. So this seems like it's going to go okay. But it doesn't seem like Carl's super into it. I mean, it's a hassle. I kind of get that. He really likes the mattress at Nigel's place. <laughs> so they have to switch mattresses. Sure, fine, whatever. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. You know, we get Alec Baldwin and Salma Hayek dragging a mattress through backyards. That's classic, classic. And so at that point... They're in Nigel's pool, which has been emptied for the season. Yeah. They're watching a slideshow of their daughter. Yeah. And Frank goes into the house to get, I think, a bottle of wine or maybe use the bathroom or something like that. Something like that. And gets kidnapped. They both get kidnapped by masked men who drive them out into the woods and threaten them because they thought they were the pedophiles. The pedophile went door to door anyway. Yeah, so so they fire a shotgun right next to Frank's ear, which is super bad for your hearing. It's also bad for their own hearing if they're not wearing... If they're not wearing ear protection. Yeah. But a smart vigilant would. Mm-hmm. It should also fuck up Nancy's hearing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But because this is a movie... Only Franks gets fucked up. And only for an hour. Yeah, a little while. (laughs) Enough for them to do a joke where he's screaming because he can't hear properly. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit. Anyway, we tell him to get lost because there's no pedophiles going to be living in there. I'm like, dude, it's a rich neighborhood. There are at least four or five. They have to walk home, though. Nancy does not want to go to her sisters for help. So she goes to her other sisters. Is that how that is explained? I think so. Bizarre, because why even have the first sister? Well, the first sister comes back at the end. No, it's the same one. No, it's not. So the first sister, her husband is the guy they pitched to at the end. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll get back to that. <laughs> so they end up going to her other sister's place. And first we meet their kid, Tristan. Tristan is a fancy lad. He's a fancy lad. And also a monster, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we meet the other one. I don't remember the other one's name. I don't know, or care. I'll call him Blake, sure. He's a Blake. Yeah, but they are real shitty to their dad. Their dad being, of course, none other than Big Dick Richie, Joe Manganiello. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so we need to take a time out here to talk about our friend of the pod label. We realized that we applied this label very liberally, and we decided to be a little more intentional with it. So we've instituted a system, and the system is thus. Once you've made three appearances in a movie that we cover, you are officially friend of the pod. So currently, we have Ken Marino, who is in In a World, The Ten, The Sleepover, and The Late Bloomer. Rob Corddry, In a World, Butter, The Ten, and Rapture Palooza. We have Aubrey Plaza from Safety Not Guaranteed, Ingrid Goes West, and Playing It Cool. Yeah, she just came to our ranks last time. We have Karen Sony from Unicorn Store, Safety Not Guaranteed, and Always Be My Maybe. And we have Paul Shear from Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping, Rapture Palooza, and Opening Night. Joe Manganiello is making his second appearance in this movie, so he's almost a friend of the pod. <laughs> almost. But yes, yeah, so... Joe Manganiello comes in. He's Bobby, is that right? Bob is what I wrote. Bob, Bobby. Yeah. 
And Bob, they're one of those folks that don't clean as much as they should. And in this movie, that means that there's spiders everywhere. So many fucking spider things. Okay. I am deeply arachnophobic. So like. Yeah, that was rough. (laughs) This is a rough sequence. Bob's basically an all right guy, but he has absolutely no control over his kids. His kids are fucking monsters. They're devil spawn. I would guess like 10, 15. Yeah, thereabouts. I know I wouldn't say 15. I'd say 10 and 13. That makes more sense. Yeah. (laughs) Frank and Nancy will stay in the kids room, which they share. Yeah. It's a weird exchange between Frank and Tristan. Yeah. I'm going to just like. We're going to gloss over that if we can. We're going to gloss over most of that. All I'm going to say is, Frank, I get it. You smoked a spider, but can you keep it down? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They go outside for a smoke and somehow Frank smokes a spider. Deeply, deeply upsetting. And then the rest of this is deeply upsetting. Let's just say they can no longer stay with Bobby. Yeah. This movie's weirdly obsessed with pedophilia. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the second time it comes up. And most movies, pedophilia comes up zero times. This movie having twice two distinct instances is fucking weird. You know what I really don't like about this? What? The what if the kid was asking for it framing? Ugh. Yeah, no, bad. Or the false reporting narrative. Yeah. That's more accurate. The false reporting narrative. And I don't like those. They sneak back home, kind of. Yeah. Because they decide to rent out Nigel's house again. (laughs) Yeah. I guess at some point they lost that $25,000 check opportunity or something. So they got to make the money somehow. So they rent the place out again. They kind of still have it. I think they just need more money because they're in a bad way. I mean, that's basically the car paid off. I know. I know. Oh, wait. No, they're rich. That's like six months worth of car payments. Oh, yeah. Also, they fucking leased their car. And in my opinion... Don't fucking lease a car. Yeah, I mean... Because uh, at the I'll, end, you still don't own it. Like, mm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Leasing is kind of like, mm, I'm not a big fan, but... I'm also not a fan of renting, but I can't afford to buy a house. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you're not renting, I mean, what's a mortgage, but you're renting your house from the bank? Exactly. It's all about down payments and shit, though. Like, that's yeah. why housing's a pain. The reason, though, I bring this up is we've introduced the character of Wayne, who is going to be living in Nigel's house. Sort of. Yeah. Nancy's wig gets a bunch of spiders coming out of it, which was fucked up. Uh, Yeah, can we? Yeah, I'm right back. And they are now living in, like, a parking garage. Yes, they are. So this was day three. I don't think there was a day four, because the next I saw was day five. Yeah, I don't remember there being a day four either. Day five is a guy coming up on their car and knocking. It's like, Frank? Frank, is that you? Oh, right. Yeah. So Frank is shaving and an old colleague comes up to the car, sees them and is like, no offense, but how'd you get in here? You haven't worked for this company for ages. And Nancy is like sleeping and having a nightmare, I guess. About the spiders. Yes. About the spider. Well, her face is covered in spider bites. So like, oh yeah, it looks so rough. Not great. <laughs> this fucking bugged me. Is this guy Tyler? He ends up like Frank does not want his pity, but he takes them to breakfast at a coffee shop to kind of give help where he can. Yeah. 
And he's listening, and I think it cuts from the garage to the coffee shop, and he goes, so all this started with one mistake, and I was like, way to really dumb it down for everyone watching this. (sighs) Yeah, and by the way, no, it didn't start with one mistake. It started with a series of big risks, and they're risks because they don't always pay off. I think the mistake they're referencing is putting the Craigslist ad up. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. They wouldn't have been in that position had they not tanked their company by being quote-unquote controversial, which in the business world, when you're talking about a controversial businessman, you're either talking about weird sex things or racism. Well, also medicine can get a little trickier. That's true just because like there's a fine line between marketing copy and fraud. Yeah. It sounds like he had a maybe faulty product, which when you're doing medical shit can kill people. I digress because I have some things to say at the end. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so so the man's on his uppers and, and needs a hand. And so Tyler's like, yeah, you know, I, I know a guy who, who needs some help. I'll make a call. So Nancy goes back home for reasons and Frank is going to an interview. Yeah. So the interview is for, <laughs> it's for a guy who salvages catalytic converters. Okay. For those who are unaware. A catalytic converter works by you pass your car's exhaust over a membrane that is full of rare earth metals, and it forms chemical bonds with a lot of the nastier stuff in your car's exhaust, and thereby reduces the amount of harmful emissions that your car's exhaust gives off. Not a lot, mind you, but enough that they're standard in a lot of places. So a catalytic converter has a shitload of platinum and rhodium and palladium in them. Yeah, like if you have to get it replaced, that's a fucking expensive replacement. Yes, and it's also one of the main things that car thieves steal. Yes. Now you noted, and I noted in my notes, is this guy a car thief? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because his entire thing is you you bring the car in, snip the catalytic converter off of it, melt it down for its precious metals. He does make an offhand comment about like junkers. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's implied that this is legitimate. But also, like, you don't necessarily steal, like, Gone in 60 Seconds is good fantasy, but it's fantasy because that's a car that everybody will recognize. You steal a junker, there's a million junkers. They're never going to find it. Right. Also, did you know who this guy was? I did not. He is a comedian named Dan Soder, who is on the level of comedian that... He's successful enough to have been given a Netflix half hour, but not like the most well-known. But I watch a lot of stand-up comedy when I can, so I was like, oh, that's that guy. Okay, okay. However, Frank is fucking floundering in this interview. Yeah, well, I mean, so you go from running a medical supply company to being asked to maybe be a worker in a chop shop, maybe. That's a downgrade. That's a rough change. Yeah, that's a rough change. So, like, that hurts the pride. As I said, Nancy had gone back to the homes, even though someone's living in her home and someone's living in Nigel's. Well, that might have been a good thing because it turns out Nigel's place got fucking robbed. Yeah, Nigel's place, like basically all of the furnishings have just been fucking stolen. And so she does the only thing she can think of to do, call Frank in the middle of his interview. And he handles it like a champ, I guess. As best he can. But I think that fucks him up enough that that's when he's like, uh, uh, can we start over? I'm Frank. (laughs) 
also at this point, because she can't do anything about Nigel's home, she tries to get into her home. Yeah, and like, I had a couple of notes here in the tweet thread. I want to pull them up, so give me just a second to do that. I'll take over for a moment. Sure. So, her key's not working. So it's fucking fine. Goes in through a dog door, which I know you had a tweet about. She's having trouble with the dog door, and like, no, you're not. No. She is at least half as wide as this dog door, and like, I'm supposed to believe that she's having trouble with it? No. With those hips? Well? No. I'm kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, because someone is breaking into where he's living, Carl maces her. Yeah. Yeah, that is is fair. Honestly, fair reaction. However, has Carl never been a tenant anywhere? You can't change the locks, you dipshit. You can't make major alterations, which will come up in just a moment. Mm -hmm. But also, these two for sure did not draft up a lease. So, like, yeah. Nowhere in the least does it say I can't change the locks type of thing. Oh, okay. I found my place. So originally Nancy is driving home and like looks in the mirror and scares herself. I'm like, oh, fuck off, Salma. You're still beautiful. (laughs) And then she's like, I'm going to go take a shower and I'm going to put on my makeup and change of clothes. And okay, fair enough. She's struggling to get through the dog door. I'm like, oh, fuck off, Salma. You fit through the goddamn dog door. And at this point, catalytic converters, is he a car thief? Yes. Okay. And then, okay, so this is hard to talk about just because it's interspersed. Like, we cut back and forth. She's trying to get her clothes from her closet, but Carl has turned it into a panic room. Like the movie, you know, Panic Room with Jodie Foster. She's great. Also, don't look at any of the rest of Jodie Foster's oeuvre. I've only seen two movies with her. Nell and Silence of the Lambs. You didn't see Contact? No. Was great. Anyway, fuck, what, what was the movie? Well, obviously, Panic Room, but also that's going to bother me until I figure it out. But the point is, it's a movie about sexual assault. Oh, yeah, it's not great. You know how there's sometimes you learn like the basic premise of a movie, like Panic Room. It's like, oh, it's about someone in a panic room. Yeah. And you're like, well, what else is the movie? I've had that thought about Soylent Green because I know the ending. I was like, what the fuck happens in Soylent Green that leads up to this? Well, you would be surprised. It's a gigantic swerve. Wow. It's a man investigating a murder is what Soylent Green is. Yes. It makes sense that that's how we get to Soylent Green as people, but... Wow. Also, we are digressing. In this fucking panic room, Carl tries to come on to Nancy and she kicks him in the stomach and he fucking deserves it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And here we get a thing about misreading signals. And yes, you still deserve to get kicked in the nards for that. And then she does a Latin Catholic blessing because Carl is such a fucking idiot. There's an attic access in the panic room. He helps her up and gets a little squeeze in, apparently. Fondle. Yeah. And he wants to be helped up out of the panic room because he goes, I'm claustrophobic. It's like, then don't build a panic room. (laughs) Yeah. First off, don't build a panic room. And then she's like, no, tell me what you're doing. And if you lie to me, I'll leave you here. And here we see the other part of Jim Gaffigan. He switches from creepy to Philip Seymour Hoffman. So his story is that he was in the ocean. He had to pee. So he took off his trunks. And while this was happening, he felt a shark 
swim up against him. And so he swam to shore very quickly and on the way picked up some children so that they would not be attacked by the shark. But also scared the children and literally everybody else. And is naked. Yeah, as is going to happen when you're a naked man emerging from the sea with children, plural, in tow, people are going to assume you're a pedophile. I think this is meant to parallel the one mistake can ruin your life type of thing. Yeah. Which is, it's a rough rub for that guy, but dude, you fucked up big time. Yeah, you did. That's not one little mistake. That's, you know, one gigantic fucking mistake. But yeah, so sure. Anyway. Back to the interview. Yeah, to the interview. And like, Frank is not treating this with the gravitas it really deserves. And this gets, what's his name, talking about like, dude, this isn't my dream job either, but I do okay. I can use another guy. I don't need another guy. Yeah, a 50-50 split is still a 50-50 split when I'm currently not splitting. So like, take it or leave it, bro. And here's a person who's clearly never struggled before, because as a person who has struggled before, I've taken jobs that I'm literally working through the trauma with my therapist to this day. Is it that insurance sales job? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit. That was the worst thing I've ever done. That was some bullshit. That was just, that was brutal. Now, Frank has gone to the bathroom and as he's coming out, he sees something that gets him agitated. I thought his car was getting repossessed, but then I remembered Nancy has it. He sees the truck that Wayne has. <laughs> oh, boy. So it's a homophobic joke about pitching and catching. That's what it was. I was like, that's that's kind of a good gay joke. <laughs> it's a good homophobic joke. If you have to make a homophobic joke, which you don't ever have to make a homophobic joke, but, you know, that was a good one. But. He gets smoked in the grill with a big rock and they're like he jumps out of the car and then he gets hit by a car, a dude on a moped, and I think somebody on a bike. And then Frank's just like, you know what? I could whip your ass. I'm just going to steal the truck from you. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, what's the guy going to do? Report that his truck full of stolen furniture is stolen? Yeah. Yeah, that'll go great, Wayne. Honestly, that's more disrespectful than having stayed and whipped his ass. I'm here for it. He takes the truck back to his home where their car is getting repossessed. Yeah. Which happens before he pulls up, so he doesn't quite see it. That's beside the point. But then the police show up and ask Frank and Nancy, they didn't know anything about a robbery that's happened to their next door neighbor. Okay. So they have illegally rented out someone else's home, not once but twice now. And Nancy is rightfully concerned that they might go to fucking jail about it they don't have rich person money to protect them anymore they got that rich person clout but they don't got that rich person money yeah so they argue about what to do about this i said that frank unlike alec baldwin can't act that well true true basically frank tries to deflect it and it works well enough they're all like you're a weirdo but like also gestures at rich neighborhood and then fucks off so now Frank and Nancy are going to be living out of this moving van. That was a rough week. Yeah. This is still day five. Day five is the long day. Yeah, this this is the one that, like, you're done after this. This is the one. They're sitting in the car. What's that called? The cab? Yes, the cab of the truck. Thank you. Yeah. One, I said, glad to, I got to see that classic Baldwin smolder. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and there's a good thing. Nancy's like, you understand we're going to Yale. He's <laughs> like, I, I don't think we have the money to go to college. He's like, when I say Yale, I mean jail. That was a good joke. Or as Nancy would say, a good yoke. Good yoke. I think there was a Dilbert strip about that before Scott Adams got his brain worms. At some point in this day, Frank had seen that their kidnapping is a viral video. Uh. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. But they're like, we have to address this because we can't have Rachel seeing this. Yep. So they go and see Jason, is it right? Yes. Very funny that they think you can take down someone else's YouTube video. Well, I mean, you could make a like a content claim. Slightly tricky. It would be tricky, but you could be Not like... possible. I get it. Yeah, this was without my consent. They, though, asked Jason, we need you to do something about a video of me and Nancy. And Jason, not surprisingly, assumes they mean a sex tape. Because they're rich perverts. Of course they mean a sex tape. And Selma Hayek's fucking hot. Yeah. In the real world, you'd be lucky if it wasn't a snuff film. Anyway. Well, it nearly was a snuff film. Nearly was a snuff film. Yeah. However... As they're looking over his shoulder as he's doing his thing, he's getting a Skype call from Rachel. And I was like, oh, this is going to be like a kidnapping video. It's going to be like blink twice if you need help. (laughs) And it is. It's extremely awkward. So Rachel says that it's weird her mom hasn't called her back. Reasons, whatever. In his floundering, Jason says, oh, it's because her birthday is coming up. So she's been busy with that. He's like, oh, that's right. I should come and visit. (gasps) I could have sworn it happened way earlier in the week that they knew Rachel was coming. But I guess it makes much more sense that it happens very soon. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it might be that we knew that this was the culmination of of the bit because they signaled that we've been able to keep this whole disaster from our daughter. Right. And he's like, oh, okay. so Chekhov's gun. This is going to come around again. As they leave, Jason's bugging them about something. And I don't know how it comes up, but Frank makes this offhand comment about a virtual yard sale. And Jason's like, no, wait, hold on. Shit, that's a good idea. You should, yeah, you should develop that. And I guess they have a, I don't know what Jason's side hustle is. Something to do with storage units? I think he's a storage wars kind of guy. Uh Or maybe he owns the unit and rents it out for people. Yeah, they do live in a rich neighborhood. But he works at Staples. He says him and some guys pulled money. But those people are not important, so we won't see them. Point is, he uses it as proof of concept for this virtual yard sale idea. Mm -hmm. From here, they go to a gas station. And earlier, before they had gone to Jason, they made some... Reference about when Nancy was pregnant, she was craving baby roots. So they go to this gas station to get some stuff, use a payphone, and Nancy's like, I'm going to get a baby Ruth, which is like, oh, uh, 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 uh-oh. Anyway, (laughs) so while she's in there, a car pulls up and Frank asks if he could borrow a cell phone real quick because it's an emergency. And the guy is acting real shifty, like real shifty. So. He makes a joke. He's like, buddy, I just need a cell phone. You're acting like you got 15 keys in the trunk. And there's an awkward silence. And then a fist fight. And the cops show up and everybody goes to jail. 
and there's a <laughs> there's a moment where Frank and Nancy are sitting in the cell together and he goes, turns out it was 115 keys. <laughs> <laughs> this guy gets real mad at them because they caused him to get caught. And it's like, hey, I don't think you can blame them for your crime. I mean, while that's true. He also started the fist fight. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely his fault. Like, that one's on you, buddy. But that said, you hear his story, and it's sad, and it, it makes the point that crime is primarily driven by want, which is a thing that Frank and Nancy have found themselves in for the first time in a very long time. And so there's an entire thing, a diatribe that I could go on. I could make an entire podcast episode about if you really want to tackle crime, what you have to do is tackle poverty, but we don't have time for that. Not sure about that, because the two biggest forms of theft in the country are wage theft and civil forfeiture. Yeah, but neither of those are technically like, well, okay, neither of those are de facto crimes because they're not prosecuted. Right. Crimes that a person goes to prison for. Can't get into it. Yeah. They get released, though, because they have to prove that they were not in collusion. And Frank has been getting calls from different creditors, mostly credit cards. <laughs> and he's been doing these racist impressions to get out of paying them. Yeah. He gets one of these calls while he's being interrogated, and we cut to them being released, and he goes, yeah, getting a call saying I owe $300 to MasterCard. It really helps prove I wasn't part of the smuggling ring. I'm not El Chapo Jr. <laughs> okay. All right. They're in, like, a bus depot is where... They have their truck, right? Something like that? Yep. Something like that. And two homeless guys show up. It's Will fucking Farrell. And Colin fucking Quinn. And Col- <laughs> Will Farrell and Colin Quinn playing the bums Will and Colin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that happens here, kind of. But really what it is, is the bums try and get whatever they can from these guys Nancy and Frank are like, buzz off. And then they try and steal their gas twice, and both times their cigarettes cause them to get on fire. (laughs) Individually, they each catch on fire in separate gas siphoning incidents. (laughs) In a freak gasoline fight accident. I was about to say, we're the fucking Zoolander here. (sighs) Love it. Yes. Kind of whatever. It's a break in the hellscape that is... The Tea Gardener's lives. Oh yeah, isn't that their last name? Tea Garden. Tea Gardener. And so eventually they call a truce and just kind of like have a chat with the bums, and the bums agree that this virtual yard sale thing is a goer, and you should work on that. Sure. Sure. Day six. We're finally at day six. And who arrives home but Rachel and her extremely party girl roommate, Jesse. Jesse. Who cares? She's in here for party girl gags. Yep. We see Frank and Nancy real quick. They're going to make a Shark Tank stop. Oh, what? Shark Tank? Like the the show with all the investors? Oh, oh, okay. Holy shit. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so they go to the country club because all the big hitters are going to be there, including Nancy's sister's husband. Brother-in-law. Shit. That's what I was looking for. Now, before we really get into that, we go back to their home. Yeah. 
And Carl catches Rachel up on everything that's happening. And two things I want to point out is that she goes, where are my parents? And he goes, I don't know. It seems to change every 16 minutes, which weirdly specific and I think is kind of a meta joke. I think so, too. I didn't look at it, but that seems right to me. Yeah. And then at some point he brings up Jennifer Lopez and I think calls her a fellow Latino. Fellow Latina. I mean, yes, but that's not what I'm getting hung up on. It's the fellow part. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan. (laughs) Uh, But that said, like, who am I to say? Maybe he's mixed. Oh, yeah. And then there was this weird thing where Jesse sees Carl and is like really into him and calls herself a shark. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's weird considering Carl's backstory with the shark. (laughs) Yeah. No, this whole thing is deeply uncomfortable. Yep. So let's go to the country club. Yes. So here Nancy changes into her secret weapon, which is a low-cut blue dress. Hey, since it's about to become relevant, I realize we skipped over two things. Oh, they're drunk this entire time. Oh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. But what I meant is in the panic room, Carl says that he found Nancy's track trophies or medals or something or other. Mm -hmm. And then before they go to Jason's, she was saying, it's like, it reminded me that that was a thing I cared about. And that was an actual personality trait. And right now I'm kind of just like, I'm fucking whatever. Yeah. And it's about to come back up. You're right. Okay. So glad we covered that. Yeah. And she brings up, she's like, Carl found my trophies. Where were they? In the garage, apparently. So yes. Nancy changes into a very flattering blue dress, which, look, I'm not saying, like, it's a comedy movie. Let's not pretend like it's meant to be, you know, 100% reflective of reality. But, like, businessmen are pervs. It's kind of understood that as a woman, there are only an X number of ways to get ahead in the male-dominated upper management world. And showing a little bit of cleavage has historically been one way to get the attention of people who you normally get about 60 seconds of attention from. But they do a great teamwork thing where she's at the bar and Frank comes in and says, boys, congratulate me. We're celebrating. Yep. And at this point, Nancy kind of comes over like drunk and she's like, yes, we're celebrating. And Frank's like, honey, I can't, can I, can I? And she's like, no, you can't. And don't tell me to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, marry me. That's it. <laughs> she goes on this long metaphor about the way a relay team is set up and compares each of them as potential investors to a relay team. And at the end, Frank's like, can I go? She's like, yes, yes, you can. All right, here's the pitch and gives them the pitch for. Yard Bay is what they're calling it. Yard Bay. And because they are old money dipshits, well, they're mostly old money dipshits. They're like, yeah, no, that's good. I like everything about this. Let's do it. Sure. Yeah. So they've got that squared away. They're going to be okay. Yeah, they're fine. And then they get back to the house and everything's cleared up with Rachel, who was mad because... She would have thought it would be interesting to see her parents at work because say what you want. They have been pretty resourceful throughout this thing. They've made it happen. 
But now everything has to come crashing down for one final climactic finish, which is to say Nigel calls and says that he's coming home because he heard about the robbery. Mm-hmm. The anti-pedophile vigilantes come back. As does Bob. As does Bob and his little fuckers. Oh, and Jason. Jason shows up first before Bob. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So Jason shows up and is like, I got this and pulls out twin tasers. Fucking what, Ben Platt? Hell yes. And so then Bob and his mutants show up and (laughs) the kids are very fascinated with weapons and take the tasers. And Bob's like, light them up, boys. (laughs) And they do. That's a hard rap on the pedophile hunters. So now they need to get all that shit in there because the conceit here is Frank is going to send Nigel a picture of his living room in pristine condition so Nigel can fuck off to Nepal and not worry about it. They manage that. Nigel says, all right, and gives a lot of shit to the gate agent because he's like, hey, I'm actually going to a different flight now minutes before they're supposed to take off. Makes a transphobic joke and unlike what happens in reality, gets hauled away for it. Well, he gets hauled away for using a gun terminology in yep. an airport. I mean, that's more the pretense for the gate agent to be like, eh, fuck this guy. Yeah. Anyway, it is now time for our epilogue of this saga. Mm-hmm. They're now, two months later, doing okay. Oh, also, it's Thanksgiving, which means that the movie did start in September. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, they're doing all right. They're having Thanksgiving dinner in this, like, boathouse. Yeah. And so they're going over what they're thankful for. And Frank quotes an author. And the kid kind of is like, in the words of you know, whatever this author's name is. Swedish. <laughs> I am a douche. It's <laughs> like, yes, you are a douche. Congratulations. Admitting is the first step. <laughs> Admitting is the first step. <laughs> also importantly... They have adopted that one criminal's daughter. Temporarily. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, your dad's going to meet us later, but in the meantime, we're going to take care of you. Which is a nice payoff from that conversation, and also the, like, pregnancy scare with the baby Ruths. It's like, oh, they did kind of get a kid. Sometimes a baby Ruth's just a baby Ruth. Exactly. Oof. And we pull out from the boathouse with narration from Colin Quinn saying, like, all this happened because they got really, really drunk. Roll Roll credits. credits. (laughs) All right. Kyle, I think you have some things for us. Yeah, this is a very odd movie because it's definitely anti-materialistic. At the end, they learn they don't need things. Mm -hmm. But it's still, like, weirdly conservative. You know, a lot of this seems to come down to... Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I'll get to that in just a moment, but before, let's start with the medical company. They said they put in all their money, and usually these types of stories will be that there was someone else fucked them over, like in Schitt's Creek, or they themselves were doing fraud embezzlement type of things. This is like, no, we're not like those evil rich people or stupid we just had some bad luck type of thing. It's like, um, um, yes. You said that's what they called you. Yes. What I mean by pulling yourself up by their bootstraps is this is all them trying to be resourceful as best they can. 
And it's kind of the implication that it's like, see, we were able to bring ourselves back up. And it's just ah, it's fucking weird. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of it as a conservative movie necessarily. I mean, it's not like it was fucking directed by Dinesh D'Souza, but it, it has this underpinning. Well, I mean, it has a clear plot progression and point. So, no, it wasn't directed by Dinesh D'Souza. Got him. <laughs> oh, oh, you want me to get him? Anyway, no, I see where you're coming from. But I think it's also kind of a skewering of that concept a little bit because it also leans heavily on the absurd ennui of being rich of all the frivolous bullshit. Like Nancy is fairly grounded because, I mean, you still get the idea that she's married into money as opposed to having it. So every once in a while, like she stays there and she's like, we never even took this fucking thing out of the box. What the hell is wrong with us kind of thing. And I don't know. I completely blanked on what I was going to talk about, but mostly just like you can't business your way out of every situation. And I think that there's a place for letting resourcefulness take the lead. But I also think there is a much greater place for community resources for people who are struggling. That is a part of this that's kind of overlooked but also kind of not because and Bobby ain't doing great. Like he's clearly not winning, but he still opens his door to Frank. Yeah. Also, they won't ask for help. They have to trick the brother-in-law into investing. Yeah. Well, I think this is part of the sickness, the soul sickness that comes with being rich. And you see this in movies like Trading Places, where all of his friends immediately turn on him the second he needs help and like clearly clearly a case of mistaken identity or fraud or something like it didn't add up as a situation so like it was fucked in that movie and here that frank felt he couldn't be honest with his community the people around him and say hey look i took a big swing and as happens when you take big swings i missed and i'm in a tough spot is there anything I can do to make up for the help I'm about to ask for. <laughs> That's not ever considered. Like he lives in this suburb full of nightmare rich people and can't ask any of them for help and can't talk to his own brother-in-law about it. It's really disgusting. Being rich is bad for your soul. <laughs> when people say, I want to be rich, they don't want to be rich. They want to be comfortable. They want more time. Sophia, don't you know that being comfortable is bad? Oh yeah, it takes you out of <laughs> Grind set. No, I'm making a joke about relationships and comfortability and what you've said about that. <laughs> oh, no, that's. No, but you're right. Have enough money to live decent. Yeah. Other than that is vanity. I mean, it's greed, but also vanity. And it is absolutely corrosive to your soul. Straight up. Okay. Overall, this movie doesn't have like too much going beneath the surface. Like, not really. Yeah. It wears it pretty. Pretty much surface level. It's pretty earnest, yeah. Doesn't make you dig. Is there anything else you want to say? Because I got one thing. No, go ahead. You remember how in Like Father, we said that the whole movie was carried by Kelsey Grammer and Kristen Bell just being so much better at acting than everyone else, and it's fine? Yeah. I feel like that applies to this movie, is that Alec Baldwin and Selma Hayek are so good, everyone else didn't need to do that well. I mean... I'm not saying anyone did bad. 
No, yeah. To be clear, everyone in this movie is fine. They're all good. Alec Baldwin and Salma Hayek do stand out a little bit from the rest of the cast, though. (laughs) That said, I think it is incumbent upon you once you get to the A-list to help out your B-list brothers and sisters and other siblings. Or let them be bums named after themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, I'd say Will Ferrell's... Oh, he's solidly A-list. Yeah. Although he hasn't been doing as much lately, which is fine. Like he's he's made all the money. He can go. I feel like he's done a, a lot of shit with like Apple TV. Has he? There was something called like The Shrink Next Door that he did that I think was more serious. I don't know that I want to see that. I believe he was the patient in that. Oh, with Paul Rudd being the shrink, but I don't think it was good. I don't know shit about it, but he's definitely moved away from his big summer blockbuster comedies. Yeah. That's kind of a shame, but also, like, fine. He also might have gotten more into the producing side so that he helps other people out, as he said. As he should, when you've reached your pinnacle. But I think that brings us to ratings. Ratings! Woo! On a scale of enjoyability, standard scale, 1 to 10. Where are you putting this, Sophia? I'm putting this at a 9. I really enjoyed this movie. I'll drop it a little 8.5, just because, like... Yeah, there was some there were some issues... Yeah, and I don't think there's much to gain from rewatch. No, no. The second watch through was a bit of a slog. But look, this is a fun, fun movie. And it's not like you have to dig for objection. Well, you don't really have to dig for objectionable shit. Yeah. But there's shit like it's not as problematic as some of the movies that we've had to talk about here. And everything I feel like fits into a cohesive narrative that is entertaining to watch. And if nothing else... Alec Baldwin and Salma Hayek have great chemistry, and it is so much fun. On a scale of obscurity, with one being a Best Picture nominee, ten being a literal student film, where are we putting this? The quality of the filmmaking alone brings it from like a nine down to about a seven. That said, I had no idea this was a thing, and like you said, this this is not advertised like at all. 2019 is not that far back. I can remember that. Yeah. No advertisements. So I'm going to say seven and a half. I was thinking seven. Just because like Alec Baldwin and Selma Hayek being as well known as they are, you can't put it too high. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, have you seen Banditas? No, I don't know what that is. No, you haven't. Okay. Because if you had, you would have made the face. (laughs) It is everything. Anyway, we don't have time. As we wrap up our episode, we end, of course, with our pop culture pop out, a piece of pop culture that we've been interested in lately and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, why don't you start us off? So I wanted to talk about World of Darkness because I have in the past on this segment, I've pitched if the emperor had a text to speech device and the guy who makes that or rather the channel who makes that Brova Alpha Busa, they have branched off into a fan-created work called Hunter the Parenting, which I believe I've also talked about in the pop culture pop-out. And it's based on the World of Darkness universe. And unlike Games Workshop, who very much is very famous for being super not cool with fan-created work, World of Darkness seems to be fine with it. So they recently released a video essay where one of the voice actors just kind of like talks about the basics of World of Darkness and 
I'm a big fan of Vampire the Masquerade, but there are many, many, many other works that kind of comprise the world of darkness universe. And one thing that I really like about it is that it's set here and it's set now. So it's a more realistic setting. It's not very combat focused. It's very role play heavy. In fact, combat is extremely dangerous and to be avoided at most any cost. It's fascinating. It's fun. And it lets you. So one of the things that I like to do, especially in like when I'm playing a D and D game is to play the straight man character. So like I normally have a game coming up in a couple of hours where we're doing a water deep run through. And there's a point where one of the rangers is part of this cult worshiping this elvish god. And my character is from a desert tribe that doesn't actually have their concept of gods is kind of obscure. It's very non-literal. And so go to this cult and like their god actually comes down and talks to us and and my character was like what what the fuck is that is that why is there that's not there's no what that's not what god's what what are you and just completely befuddled by the idea that like no there are actually gods here and magic flows from their power etc so i tend to play a straighter character in fantasy settings and Trying to find that niche in World of Darkness is an interesting challenge for me because, again, here and now, just on the other side of the veil of normalcy. It's super interesting. It's definitely for people who are more into roleplay than combat, but definitely worth taking a look at. So, Kyle, what do you have for us this time? Well, you had a tabletop game. I have a video game. I have been playing Marvel's Midnight Suns. This is from a company called Firaxis, who made XCOM. And so in that style, it is a tactics game, which is very much turn-based. There's positioning and different things. It's very interesting in that it doesn't do the XCOM thing of, you have this percentage to hit. No, they're superheroes. They hit their targets. They do what they intend to do. Mm-hmm. Positioning is also not as big a deal, because there's not cover to deal with. but it, can influence other things. It's also part deck building. It's just really neat. And I like this a lot more than, say, like Fire Emblem. Because Fire Emblem, a big draw is getting into the relationships. And that's in this game, too. But I also already know some of the characters. Uh, First characters you meet are Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and Blade. Okay. And, like, having that base level knowledge is very helpful for getting through that piece that I don't always love. It's really fun. I keep forgetting that Blade is a Marvel character. Yeah. (laughs) Sophia, where can people find you online? I mean, I've got a link tree. Big hits are I'm on Twitter at Hamilcarenina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I'm on Quora, Sophia Lena Maestatrix, but I'm only really there because I use that to promote my medium, which is also Sophia Lena Maestatrix. There I do Queering House, which is my queer media analysis project. I'm currently working on Bardo, a false chronicle of a handful of true events, I think is the name of it. It's an Inurito movie. It's wild. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'll expect that one by June. <laughs> I also have the fifth columnist. That's my rogue political opinions. The things that my employer would be embarrassed to hear me say, because they're just a little too much. Not that they wouldn't agree, but it's those, yeah, but you're not supposed to say it things. <laughs> so you could go there for that. I'm on Hive whenever that decides to work. 
Don't find me on Facebook. That's me. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I am on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also have a Twitter account at Off the Film Path, where frequently it's Sophia does real-time reactions to the movies we watch. And I think I actually just tweeted about another movie I watched on my own. If you'd like, there's a link at the bottom of the show notes where you can leave a voice message to be in an upcoming episode. Whether to leave your own pop culture pop out, you know, share the joys of what you've been uh, getting into lately, or to leave your thoughts on the movies we discuss. But in order to get in on the next one, Sophia, what are we watching? We are watching Don't Think Twice. I have some mixed feelings because there's a lot of funny people in this movie. That's quite frankly, not that funny. You know, that makes me nervous. But <laughs> we'll get there. It's also got some like indie movie, just ugh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe so you can catch the episodes as they come out. Rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify to help spread awareness of our show. Tell your friends so they can watch some hot people be hot people, a.k.a. Salma Hayek. Get all of your living room furniture and spell it out on your lawn. Yeah, I'm not topping that. <laughs> Thank you again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.